Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing the Lagan Valley area filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Come Holy Spirit. Our teaching text today is read from 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 to 27. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. If we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. And so the body is not made up of one, but of many. Now if the foot should say, because I am a hand, I do not belong to the body, It would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unrepresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome to Lagan Valley Vineyard. If we haven't met before, my name is Stu. Particularly welcome to those folks who are usually at the 9.30 um, who have watched the rugby this morning. Um, has anybody, just so I know, so I don't like kind of drop you in it, is there anybody who's recorded the rugby and is going to watch it whenever they get home? Nobody? One person? Sorry. And yeah, I won't tell you the score then. It was 75 nil to. Um, yeah, whatever. It was, yeah, we're, we're, we're all feeling good. Right. Um, <laughs> Uh, we are in the second week of our series called Immersed. We're wanting to take a few weeks to unpack the significance of baptism and why it's such an important aspect of life with Jesus and also life with each other. We're really excited that on the 6th of October, we're going to be hosting a baptism service here in the evening of the 6th. We love baptism services here. And if over the course of the past couple of weeks, as we've been teaching, as you've been in tribes this week, as you've been having conversations with each other, as you've been listening to what Jesus has been saying to you, you're thinking to yourself, you know what, I would really love to get baptized. 
can we really encourage you to sign up? You can just jump onto our website, jump onto events. You'll be able to see the 6th of October baptism service. Click into that and you'll be able to sign up. If you've got any questions about baptism, you want to chat to somebody about it, please do come and speak to us this morning. Um, you can also email Andy, andy at laggingvalleyvineyard.com and we'll be able to help you out with any questions that you've got. Let me dive in with this quote from Anne Lamont. Christianity is about water. Everyone who thirsts come to the waters, Jesus said. It is about baptism. It is about full immersion. It is about falling into something that's elemental and wet. Most of what we do in life is geared towards our staying dry, looking good, not going under, keeping things nice and neat and tidy. But in baptism, in lakes and in tanks, you agree to do something that's a little bit sloppy because at the same time, it's also holy and absurd. Whenever you see baptism happening at the first time, it looks a little bit odd, doesn't it? It's all about surrender, though. This is what baptism is all about. It is all about surrender. It is about giving in to those things that we can't control. It is a willingness to let go of decorum and get drenched. The life that we've been invited into with Jesus is not a dip your toes in to see how it feels kind of life. It is a life of surrender, a life where we've been invited to get drenched, to be fully immersed into the goodness and the activity of God. Life with Jesus is about full immersion into his nature, into his love and his purposes. It is immersive, it is expansive. It is a life that invites us to go deeper and deeper and deeper. <clears throat> and so with that, is it any surprise at all that the sacrament, the symbol that symbolizes what is going on with this also reflects that reality? In baptism, just like with life with Jesus, you can't stay dry. You're gonna get drenched. And we kicked off our series last week with the words of St. Augustine, the early church father, who said of the sacraments of which baptism is one that's gonna appear on the screen, they are an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. Baptism is the public declaration of you surrendering your life with Jesus. It symbolizes our surrender to him. You have this moment of letting go. Balance and decorum get thrown out of the window. You're gonna get your hair wet unless you wear like a swim cap in a baptism, but that would be a bit weird, right? You're saying yes to Jesus ruling over every single part of your life. You're saying that your life has been drenched or been immersed in his. And we're wanting to take a few weeks to unpack the reality of what baptism is all about, the life that we get immersed into. And last week, Andy spoke on the truth that through surrender, we get immersed into the way of hope. And next week, he's gonna wrap up the series before we move into eight weeks on Galatians by speaking of the invitation for us to live into a new way of living, a different way of life. But today, I wanted to spend the next couple of moments before we share bread and wine together, just to unpack one very simple idea. And it is this, you can't baptize yourself. Think about it. Have you ever seen anyone baptize themselves before? It's impossible. It is impossible to baptize yourself. Imagine like, before the baptism service. Nobody's here and you're thinking, 
I'm gonna baptize myself. And so you kind of sneak into the venue, you see that nobody's here, you kind of come up to the stage and you hop in and then you like crunch down and then you do the universal sign that baptism is about to take place, holding of the nose, and then you dip in and then you baptize yourself. Like that isn't actually baptism. That's taking a bath, right? Or imagine if you're thinking, right, I'm gonna go and baptize myself this morning. And then you go out, you go to the sea, you go to the lake, and then you just kind of like run in and then like fling your head first in to be able to baptize yourself. Again, that's not baptism. That is going for a dive. It is impossible to baptize yourself. One of the shadow sides of the sacraments of which baptism and communion is, one of the shadows of them is that we can make them all about ourselves. We can individualize them, like communion. We're gonna show that in a few moments. But we can fall into the trap of thinking, right, I'm gonna take my bit of bread, I'm gonna take my cup, and by myself, I'm gonna sit down on my seat and I'm going to reflect on what my Lord and my Savior has done for me, taking my sins and releasing me into my new life. Now, of course, all of that is absolutely true. However, whenever we reduce the gospel of Jesus and his kingdom down to me's and my's, we reduce the expansive and immersive nature of what Jesus is doing amongst us. Of course, of course, we individually get to celebrate what Christ has achieved for us, his love for us as unique children, but with the sacraments in communion, but also particularly as we teach through baptism, there is an invitation for us to open ourselves up to something that is so much bigger than ourselves. And what I'm talking about is the invitation into community. You can't baptize yourself, but through true baptism, we get to see that we're invited into two different aspects of community. Firstly, the Trinity, and secondly, life with each other. Whenever we baptize people here at the vineyard, we use the same set of words. It's like a liturgy that we use immediately before we baptize somebody. Somebody will ask people here kind of on the outside, staying dry, will say to the person who's about to be baptized, do you? And then they will say their name, which is really important. And we'll get to that in just a few moments. They say, do you, say Chris, for instance, believe that Jesus is the king over everything, especially your life? And then the person getting baptized will say, I do. And then the universal sign that baptism is about to take place will happen, which is holding up the nose. And it's really important, by the way, if you're thinking about getting baptized, here's just my kind of like two cents for you. Say, I do, before you hold your nose, because otherwise it just sounds like I do. And that sounds a little bit weird before baptism, right? I thought that was going to get more laughs, but that is totally okay. So, so the nose hold happens. Baptism is about to take place. And then we say over you as we baptize you, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. We lower you into the water, not for too long, and then we pull you up to noise and celebration and worship. Here's the thing. We may enter into the tank by ourselves, but we step out of it surrounded by the noise of celebration and the love of a family. This act baptizes our unique and personal name into the company of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Baptism is always done to us in the name of the community of the Trinity. Through our surrender, our surrender to Jesus, we now become participants of the community in which he inhabits. The implications of this are massive 
particularly whenever it comes to our name. Our name is mentioned in the lines before we baptize people, just as I said. And this is really, really key because in baptism, we see that we are no longer living our own life, going our own way. We're actually informed and changed into a community. Whenever I was baptized at the age of 16, a kind of renaming took place over my life. I, Stuart, son of Mervyn and Alwyn, brother of Richard, I was renamed in the act of baptism. My identity through Jesus, it has been transformed in him. No longer was I Stuart, son of Mervyn and Alwyn, brother of Richard, or as somebody came up to me and said, that sounds an awful lot like gladiator. I, Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the north. Um, no longer was I solely just son, brother to my biological family, my family of origin. As I was baptized, I also experienced a renaming into the community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. My identity through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus has been transformed and it is symbolized through the act of baptism. So through baptism, I'm still Stu, right? But I'm not just Stu. I'm now Stuart in the community of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But I'm also Stuart in the community that includes Chris and Hannah and Jenny and Pete. I'm now their brother. They are now my brothers and my sisters. In community, we have an, there's like a renaming that takes place. No longer am I confined to my family of origin, the name that they have given me. I now find that I am renamed and entered into the community of the church. This is really important. Now, being the son of Mervyn and Alwyn, the brother of Richard, I've had a really positive experience of growing up in family. Yet I am so aware that actually for many of us, our experience of family, they're very, like they're so varied. For a lot of us, it's really positive. For a lot of us, it's actually really, really hard as we look back on that or experience it right now. And for some of us, we're just kind of in the middle. It's kind of just a bit meh, whatever. But here's the thing. Regardless of whatever our histories are with our families of origin, whenever it comes to baptism, we find ourselves renamed into the community of the church. We find that we enter into a new kind of community and the currency of our community is unconditional love. We get to experience a very new kind of family. We get to experience a renaming. No longer are we defined by the restrictions and the boundaries that were put in place in our growing up. Actually, we begin to see that whenever it comes to our community, we enter into an expansive and immersive way of life because God is king, he is leading us, and he is changing everything. We get to experience this remarkable renaming because we've received, we've been, we've been entered into something that is so much bigger than ourselves, the community of Christ followers, the baptized, the church. I put it like this a few weeks ago whenever I was teaching on community. We get to be immersed in a community that looks like a dense jungle where there are vines and there are intertwining branches. There are meshed root systems and connections all across the canopy. There's this gorgeous diversity and beauty and vitality where creatures from all tribes, all nations, all tongues, all socioeconomic statuses, all stories, all times and all places have this place in the great ecosystem of the church, our new family that we get baptized into through baptism. We're immersed into the divine dance of the Trinity and also into the dense ecosystem of the church. 
Eugene Peterson, my hero, puts it like this. Baptism defines our identity by an immersion in the emphatically relational Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We get baptized into the Trinity. And yet at exactly the same time, it is a redefinition of our lives in the loved defined community of the beloved. God's loved children, love created and love commanded brothers and sisters. Through baptism, we see that we've been welcomed into a new kind of community, a new family, a new humanity, a new people, the community of God experienced through the church. Through baptism, our lives get redefined. They once had a shape to it, one where we were kind of able to do our own thing and go our own way. But now that I'm a part of this new community, things look different. And what I want to do for the next couple of moments before we share bread and wine is I want to walk us through how our lives are to look different as we enter into this community. How our lives are redefined whenever it comes to the church. And I want to get us to turn to the teaching text that Laura read earlier from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's one of the most important teachings um, that Paul has penned in the scriptures. If you want to keep this text open, we're gonna keep using it and keep referring back to it as we work through the teaching today. I wanna just unpack the nature and the shape of the community that we have been immersed into. And it is summed up by the last verse that Laura read earlier, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27, which says this. Now, I just love how punchy Paul is whenever he says this word. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you, every single one of you who has surrendered your life to Jesus is a part of it. Now, some context here. Paul is writing to a church plant in Corinth, and as usual, he's been really deliberate about the language that he is using to describe the church. He uses this metaphor of the body, and instantly, the minds of the Jewish listeners who would have been in that community would have returned back to the Garden of Eden and to Genesis 1 and 2, where they find God, Yahweh, creating this, these new bodies for the first time, creating man and woman. And they would have pulled that thread to this moment that they would have been hearing Paul's teaching and saying, oh, God is doing a new creative work, forming and shaping a very new kind of body. This is the genesis of the church. And yet for everybody else in Corinth who would have been listening, they would have seen that Paul would have been doing something very political, something very subversive. Whenever it comes to the church, there is no need to shy away from politics, particularly in our age. Political thinkers of this day would have used the word body to describe the empire, where the political system that would have governed that region in that age. And there would have been an emperor, Caesar, who would have been seen to have been the head of this body. And everybody would have been involved in their lives basically were like serving him, honoring him and giving glory to him. Yet Paul is reframing, he's taking this word that it would have been used in a particular context. He's remixing it, he's putting it back in to the context of Jesus and saying that actually whenever it comes to this body, Jesus is doing something very, very new. In this text, Paul describes the church as the body of Christ. And just like a body, my body, your body, there would have been different parts to it, right? But whenever it comes to the church, all of these different parts, they come together as one. They come together unified in the person of Jesus. And in verse 13, 
of chapter 12, we see this. Paul begins to spell out some of the differences that it would have been in this community. We talked about some of this a few weeks ago, where there would have been Jews and Gentiles, slave and free, and yet despite the differences, this new body, in that new body, we see this diverse unity established, different people from different backgrounds coming together as one. Here's the thing that's really important to notice. At the moment of surrender, the moment of your surrender, the moment whenever you gave up your life to follow Jesus, not only did you receive his salvation, not only was sin and death broken off of you, not only did you receive both the love and the presence of Jesus, not only did you find yourself adopted into sonship and daughterhood, not only did you receive the indwelling Holy Spirit, but in that moment of surrender, that exact moment of surrender, you were also received into the family of God. In that moment, whenever you gave your yes to Jesus for the first time, instantly you were grafted into the community of Jesus. And that moment of surrender, what's going on there is that the Holy Spirit, as it says in verse 13, is at work introducing us to this new family, welcoming us in, but also he's consistently at work right now, sustaining us to allow us to live into this new kind of relationship. At the moment of surrender, we were immersed into a new kind of community. And through baptism, as it says in verse 13, we get to witness the reality of what God is doing within our lives. Through baptism, we tangibly, physically, incarnationally begin to see that we get to see that the Holy Spirit has been at work, doing a deep work, grafting people into his body. Verse 13, for we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body. Whenever it comes to entering any kind of community, any club, any team, there's usually standards and boundaries. There's certain skills or talents that have to be reached. You have to be of a certain status, potentially. You have to conform yourself to be able to enter into the life of that community. And yet, whenever it comes to this body, the community of the church, you find that conformity isn't required. Instead, diversity is the thing that is celebrated above all else. Verse 15 says this. Now, if the foot, um, I know that, by the way, that Paul's teaching here is a little bit trippy, right? Um, just roll with him, okay? Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to that body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of that body. Too often in community, we can look at people and think, I am not like them. They're a hand, and I'm just a foot. And foots are pretty stinking most of the time. I wish I was a hand. Like, like I'm an ear. They're definitely stinking, but I wish I was an eye. Look at the eye. Like, they're amazing, beautiful eyes, right? What Paul is doing here is addressing something that we find ourselves doing all the time. We look at other people we see who they are, how they live their lives, we compare ourselves with that person and instantly we think, I don't really belong. They're doing their thing. But look at them, aren't they brilliant at it? They're such a hand, such an eye. I'm just a foot in the ear. I'm just gonna hang back. I don't, I don't really belong. Paul here is flipping our understanding of community that compared to every single community in this world, compared to a lot of families of origins as well, 
Paul is flipping the idea of what community is all about. He's saying, however different you are, even if you're a foot or an ear, you have something to contribute. You're a treasured member of this new family. Verse 18 puts it like this. But in fact, God has placed all of the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. The master craftsman, he is at work shaping and forming his body in exactly the way that he wants it to be. Who are we to judge? Who are we to judge? He is shaping this community in the way that he intended it. If they were all one part, if they were all the same, if everybody looked like me, my goodness, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but there are one body. Context again, Paul is writing to the Corinthians specifically around the idea of spiritual gifts here. Uh, Chapter 12, verse seven, it says this, now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. Each one of you as a follower of Jesus who has God's Holy Spirit living and is alive within you, you have got gifts that the Holy Spirit has activated in your life that you are to use for the blessing of the wider community. Each of you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a gift. Each of you has a part to play. Your individual contribution is key. And around here, we use a good old phrase from California in the 80s. Everyone gets to play. You all get to play whenever it comes to the context of the church. You have a role to play. You're able to be intricately involved in the life of this community. So often we get tripped up by comparison. We can't offer what they offer, so we just shut ourselves off from community. Instead of immersing ourselves into the depths of community, we just kind of hang out at the shallow end by ourselves, not diving in to the invitation of God. Please hear me. Stop downplaying your part. Stop downplaying your part. You've got a unique contribution to bring to the life of this community and also the cosmic community of the church. This is the beauty of the church. This is the genius of God himself. Each of us are needed. Each of us are essential. Our contributions are essential. Each of you, you're part of the body of Christ. And actually, we as the church are deficient whenever you withhold yourself. We are the ones that lose out. Because your gift, you can't offer it whenever you're hanging out in the shallow end instead of diving into the depths of community. Verse 21 says this, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker, they are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, they are the parts that we treat with special honor. God arranges his body in this particular way. He is the one that is shaping and designing us in the way that he intends. Who are we to judge? And he does this, verse 25, so there will be no division amongst us, there'll be unity within the church, but also, as it says in verse 25, that its parts should have equal concern for one another. I love how Eugene Peterson translates verse 25 in the message version. It's gonna appear on the screen. It says this, the way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as the church. Every part dependent on every other part. What Paul is describing here in verse 25 is an interconnectedness an interdependence that is to exist within the church where it exists like a true family. 
Let me put it like this. If Emma is going through a pretty rough time, I'm not gonna be off living my best life with my boys. Because we are in love and because we are deeply devoted to one another, we are connected, we live as family. As she is going through a rough time, I'm gonna be going through a rough time too. Why? Because I'm choosing to be with her and to walk her through it alongside her together in unity. What Emma would be experiencing will affect me. And Paul is saying that that is to be exactly the same dynamic within the context of the church. Verse 26 puts it like this. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. This is to be the shape of the church. Interconnected, interdependent. And this is why baptism is so important. Baptism is like a moment of initiation where the one getting baptized doesn't just receive this new family, but actually where we as the family of God get to both witness and welcome a new member. We get to welcome somebody home. A new member to whom, because they've been baptized, I am now deeply connected with. I'm now interdependent with them. We're in community. We're in community with each other. And this is why baptism always takes place in public. You'd have seen this last week whenever John the baptizer in the teaching text that Andy used would have baptized Jesus in the River Jordan. Would have been a busy river. There would have been lots of people going on. There's something really important about the public declaration of faith. We do baptisms in public. We also do it in the context of a local church. We don't just do it with our friends and with our families. Baptisms aren't like eloping with a few friends kind of sneaking off and getting baptized. Baptisms are to feel like big weddings. That's what they are. They are to be like these big wedding ceremonies where you publicly declare that your life is changing and also where you get to receive a brand new family. And whenever I say family, I really do mean the reality of family. Eugene Peterson puts it like this. I love this quote. In baptism... We're immersed in great and marvelous realities, creation, salvation, resurrection. But whenever we come up dripping out of the waters of baptism and look around, we observe to our surprise that the community of the beloved is made up of people who are just like us, unfinished, immature, neurotic, stumbling, singing out of tune much of the time, guilty as charged, forgetful and boorish. Is it credible that God would put all of these matters of eternal significance into the hands of such as us? Consider what we learned last week as we explored the teaching that Andy brought, the significance of the life that we get to live into where we are made alive with Christ, where death and sin and shame is broken off of us and we get to live into hope. And then the context and where that has worked out is with people who are like me and people who are like you. And yet that is the beauty of the church. Many, as they rise from the waters of baptism, have taken a good look at what they see. They shake their heads and they think not. But this is the perpetual difficulty of living a life of love in the community of the beloved, but we better get used to it. For those of you who are gonna be getting baptized soon, let me say this to you. You can't choose your family. You just can't. You're kind of stuck with us. I'm sorry. However, you do have a choice to commit to us to commit to the family of God. And whenever I say family, I mean the reality of family. I mean the messiness of family. I mean the beauty of family. I mean the moments whenever you'll be wronged and the moments whenever you're gonna be honored. 
Because in true community, we don't get to choose who we do life with, but we receive everybody as a gift. We cannot take community and kind of sort it out to pick out our kind of people. Our family comes to us by grace. And we are to recognize the wonder that God has placed the parts of the body, every single one of them, just as he wanted them to be. In baptism, we see that our lives have been redefined. You can't baptize yourself. And just as you actually need people to baptize you, you also get to see that this immersive life with Jesus, that you're now dependent upon your brothers and sisters. You can't do life as the Lone Ranger anymore. You need people around you. You need us as your community to allow you to live into the fullness of life. Jesus, like he could have done this in a particular way, but he chose to do it in a way that was surprising and unexpected. Jesus didn't live life as a lone ranger, riding in on a chariot, establishing the kingdom by himself. Instead, he gathered around him a bunch of people like you and me, people who mess up sometimes, people who get it wrong, people who are full of both glory, beauty, and also screwing up every once in a while. And he commits himself to them. He shared his life with them. And in doing so, the fullness of the kingdom of God was displayed through their communal life together. So important that we see this. For us to see that we're part of an eclectic family, the eclectic family of the church, and that as we choose to commit ourselves to the church, we will only dive deeper and deeper and deeper into the depths of God. And yet, it's really important for those of us who have been baptized, for us to recognize that at a baptism service or whenever we see somebody getting baptized, it is not just about the person getting baptized. Actually, we're really, really involved too. Baptism is a moment whenever we witness somebody surrender, of course it is, and yet it is also a moment whenever we get to welcome them into our family. And whenever I say family, I mean somebody who we are dependent upon and they are now dependent upon me. Baptism isn't just the, like, it's not just about going up to the person who's being baptized, giving them a hug, celebrating with them and saying congratulations, although I find it really weird saying congratulations during a baptism because Jesus did the work and you kind of just got wet a wee bit, you know. Um, I kind of just say blessing, you know, that's maybe a bit churchy, but it is so much more than simply just that, just kind of congratulating somebody and kind of moving on. For us as the baptized, as we witness somebody getting baptized, that is a moment whenever we should be within ourselves, resolving within ourselves to take responsibility for the nurture and for the care and for the flourishing of our new brother or sister. I don't mean this is like a nice idea, by the way, or like some kind of theory. You mentioned a few weeks ago that in the New Testament, the highest form of community is not found in friendship groups. It's not even found in biological family. It is found in the community of the baptized, the church. And if we hold this to be true, we need to live up to the responsibility of this. We need to take our responsibility in this community as mothers and as fathers, as elder brothers and as elder sisters within the context of our wider community. We need to nurture and champion our new brothers and sisters, living closely with them, so closely with them, to the degree that if they suffer, we suffer. And if they rejoice, we get to party with them like it's 1999. Couple of things on this. The first one's really practical. 
Every like three or four months or so, we host a baptism service here. And sometimes we can fall into the trap. And I've been here too, so um, please hear me on this. This is by no means a guilt trip. And sometimes we can kind of think, I don't really know who's getting baptized, and so we don't show up. And listen, Sunday nights I know are hard to get out um, for, and family life is busy and all of that. However, however, I think it's really important that we elevate baptism for what it is and baptism services for what they are. There are moments where we as the church get the opportunity to commit within and amongst ourselves to lead, serve, guide, and shepherd our brothers and sisters. Baptism is the moment whenever somebody new joins our family and we never miss a wedding. We never miss the opportunity to meet a newborn. So why should baptism services be any different whenever it comes to us living into the New Testament way of the church? Second thing that I wanna say is this. I'll let that kind of simmer for you. The second thing I wanna say is this. Because we're the kind of community that we are, who believe that Jesus is alive, he is establishing his kingdom, and that means that it's really good news for people. Here's the thing, it is gonna be really, really normal for us to be baptizing lots of people. It's gonna be really normal for us to see lots of people come to faith. It's, we should just expect that to be the case, and it is amazing that even in recent weeks we have been seeing that happen in our community and across our city with what you are doing out in your everyday, ordinary lives. It should be really normal for salvation to happen, but here's the thing, let's never get used to it. Let's never normalize salvation. Let's not think, oh, somebody got saved, we kind of tell that on a Sunday and we think, class, cool, and kind of crack on. May we never lose the wonder of seeing somebody's life completely transformed by the person of Jesus. Seeing them experience grace for the first time, being filled by the Holy Spirit, their life being turned around, them getting to live into the fullness of life with God in the community. May we never get used to that. It is gonna be really normal for us to see that happen time and time again. We're gonna baptize lots of people in the story of this church, but may we never normalize salvation. May we never get used to it in one sense as we just expect this to happen and yet never lose the wonder of it taking place. The key to living in this way, I think, is oftentimes down to our understanding of the church. If we see church as an event that we show up to on Sunday mornings, community will simply be the people that you sit alongside. If you see church solely as like an organization, like a business with structure, with leaders, with staff, so often we can fall into the trap of deferring responsibility. We see that somebody needs help, but we recognize, oh, that's their role to do that. They get paid to do that, so they can do the ministering, right? Let me preface that. We have a remarkable staff team. It's my privilege to be able to serve alongside them. We have so many of you do an amazing job as volunteer leaders in so many environments across the life of this church and out into the city. Our staff team, our volunteer leaders, like we're just pouring ourselves out for the sake of what Jesus is doing amongst us. In recent weeks and months, we've talked about pathways. We've recognized that there is at certain times and in certain situations, a certain degree of expertise that is required for things that come up However, all that being said, we must never get to a place where we in the church defer responsibility. 
defer responsibility for the care, for the nurture, for the discipling of other people, thinking that's their job, it's not mine. If we choose to see the church as the body of Christ, the incarnated, down-to-earth, dynamic, diverse community of the church that both represents Jesus and of which I and you am a part, that changes everything whenever it comes to our understanding of the church. Because with that, we end up having skin in the game. We recognize that we are invested in this thing called the church, that we've got a role to play. And because I am invested in the community, people are also invested in me also. We get to give, we get to nurture, we get to disciple, we get to care, and yet we also get to receive in the great ecosystem of the church. This is what it means to be the body of Christ, giving and receiving. Now, it's just important to note, let's be real for a second, you're not gonna be able to nurture, care for everybody. That's just not gonna happen. We don't want kind of this like really thin sense of relationships. We want depth whenever it comes to relationships. However, there is a collective responsibility for the whole church to be engaged in this. And as we invest in a small set of people within this community, it may be people in your tribe, it may be people that you're looking out for, it may be people that you're investing in. As you invest in those people in the great ecosystem of the church, you are also getting cared for by somebody else. And also all of these people that you'll never really be able to do that in depth with are also cared for with everybody else. This is a collective responsibility piece. In baptism, we see that our lives have been redefined, that there is no longer any lone rangers, but now we are all interconnected and dependent. And yet, what is it? What is it that weaves us together in this new kind of community? It is love. 1 John 3, 16 puts it like this. John has a bit of a habit of writing good verses with 3 and 16 at the end of it. Um, Do you want to fling it up there, Mikey? This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. John's speaking about the reality of the life that we've been immersed into, the life that Andy unpacked for us last week, the reality of baptism that Jesus laid down his life for us, that we are able to embrace new life, radical life, generous life, supernatural life with him. And yet, how are we to respond to that great love that we have received? We're to model it out in the context of community with our brothers and with our sisters. John goes on to say this, and we ought to lay down our lives for the sake of our brothers and sisters. We respond to the great love of Jesus through sacrificial love for one another, pouring ourselves out for the sake of one another. This is the kind of community that you enter into at the moment of your surrender. At your baptism, we as your spiritual mothers and fathers, elder brothers and sisters, we get to welcome you into this kind of community, a community that is woven together with great love. And we find time and time again in the beauty, in the glory, in the mess of it all, that it is our deepest joy to lay down our lives for the sake of one another. Because the way that we do family around here is marked by love. The body of Christ is to live into the way of Christ by honoring one another as more important than ourselves, taking the form of a servant, humbling ourselves and laying our lives down for each other. And the starting point in all of this 
is us choosing to re-immerse ourselves into the reality of the love of God to see the love, to taste it, to be able to experience it once again, the love that God has for us. And whenever we begin to experience it and wrap our heads around it once again and be able to encounter it, we see that we have freely received. And so we freely give to our brothers and to our sisters. In his body, Christ laid down his life for us. And so we, as his body, we are to be the kind of people who lay down our lives for the sake of one another. Can I get the band up? That's right. Nice, guys. Paul goes on to speak about the way that we are to live as the body of Christ. We're to live full of love. And whether you are new to the family, whether uh, you entered our family life days ago, weeks ago, months or years ago, whether you're young or you're an elder in this community, listen to the words of Paul about how our life together is to be structured and lived out. These words will be very familiar to you. You've probably heard them at a wedding. And yet these words were not necessarily written with husband and wife in mind, but actually with a young church plant who were seeing God show up in amazing ways. They were dealing with some stuff that was kind of going on, but that's church, right? And yet they were seeing God show up in how they lived life together. And let me read this. You can read along with me. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul shows us the most excellent of way. If I speak in the word, sorry, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Love, the inner dynamic of the church, the way that we are to live our lives, the oxygen that we are to breathe in our relationships with one another. Love, it is patient. It's kind. It doesn't envy one another. It doesn't look at the hands and the eyes and thinking, flip, I'm an ear and a foot. I'd love to be like them. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor other people. It doesn't create barriers. It it's not self-seeking. It's not about you rising to the top. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices in the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. Seeing what God is inviting every member of our community into, love always hopes and it always perseveres. Love, it never, ever fails. This is to be our operating system, the oxygen of the church, the way that we are to live our lives, a way that is defined by love. More than anything, I wanna finish by saying this. The shape of our life as the church. It's 
to look a little bit like this. To look like bread and wine. The shape of our life is to be Eucharistic. Just as Christ laid down his life for us, we're to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. I'm to do that for you and you're to do that for me. We're the kind of people in light of all that Jesus has done for us, which is symbolized in this sacrament, we are to choose to live in this particular way where our hearts, our pockets, our schedules, our convenient plans, they are to break for the sake of one another. Our hearts broken for the sake of what is going on with our brothers and sisters. And we, we choose to pour ourselves out, emptying ourselves for the sake of one another. This is to be the shape of our life as the church. This is the life that you enter into whenever you're baptized. And yet it is the reality of every single day of your life as you experience life in community with each other. Let's stand together, shall we? We're gonna close our time together in the best way that I know how, by sharing this meal together, sharing bread and wine. And let me just say two things before I pray and invite you forward. The first thing is this, if you have never taken communion before, if you're listening to me talk and you're thinking, man, I am, I'm not part of this thing, but I really wanna be a part of this thing. Is this the kind of life that I get invited into if I say yes to Jesus? Yeah, it's, it's, it's good and it's so much better than you can imagine. If you've never taken bread and wine before, if you've never shared communion with the church, let me just say this. This morning, you are welcome to come to the table. You are welcome to receive Jesus as king over everything, especially your life. You're welcome to say yes to him. You're welcome to receive his Holy Spirit and you are welcome to enter into our community. This morning, you are welcome at our table. And if that is you this morning, if you're thinking, I would um, I love to be able to join this family. I love to be able to connect with Jesus for the first time. I love to have my life utterly transformed by him. Um, can I just invite you? There's gonna be lots of people coming forward, so don't worry, you won't kind of like stand out. Um, but come forward and I'm gonna be right here at the front and it would be my utter joy to be able to welcome you, to pray for you, to lead you to Jesus and to offer you bread and wine to welcome you into our family. And with that, for the rest of us, you're also really welcome at the table this morning. And at this table, can I invite you as you take some bread and as you taste the wine or the juice to open yourself up to the depths of what Jesus has done for you as he laid down his life for you. Open yourself up wider 
dive deeper into the depths of it, immerse yourself more and more, get that little bit more drenched in the good news of Jesus, because trust me, there is more and there is more and there is more. And yet, there is also an invitation for us to be able to practice this family way of life. So please take bread and wine for yourself. However, please also go and share bread and wine with your brothers and sisters. If you know that there's a situation that's going on in the room, go to that person and say, I love you, how can I pray for you this morning? Embrace each other, stand with one another, celebrate with each other, suffer alongside each other, share bread and wine together. This morning, um, we're gonna do things a little bit differently. Um, We're gonna do something with communion that's affectionately known as the rip and dip. Um, So in a few moments, I'm gonna invite you forward. Uh, There's gonna be our welcome team that are gonna be here and uh, just take a bit of bread and just dip it into the wine and or the juice and just um, receive communion. And please feel free to take extra bits if you want to go and share it. Um, All we have is non-alcoholic wine and juice. So um, just so you know. Let me pray and then I'll invite you to come and receive communion together. Jesus, we recognize that you are the king over everything and especially our lives. And this morning, we say yes to you once again. And Jesus, we recognize that on the day of your resurrection, the disciples' eyes were closed and yet they were opened at the moment whenever you broke bread, when you offered wine that you're present in this moment and around this table. And so Lord Jesus, I pray by your spirit, would you change us? Would you immerse us deeper into the goodness of what you've done for us as you laid down your life for us? And yet Lord, may you shape us and form us into the kind of people who dive deeper and deeper into the depths of our life together as brothers and sisters. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you come. We pray that you guide us shape us and form us. We are so thankful that you laid down your life for us. And we are so thankful that we get the joy of laying down our lives for each other. In Jesus' name.